0: Sale Saturday, I need to pay my heart's outstanding
1: bills. A cracked up
0: compass and a pocket
1: watch. Some All right, back again. This is Sounds Familiar Week of podcast. Mike Robichaud
0: coming at you from the great white north. Uh, and this is Quinn Derive coming from Beer City, USA. <laughs> sorry i had to do it
1: <laughs> so after last week lots of cool things happened
0: you got um yes, i guess by frank turner i i did and again i i i even posted i think in that post saying mm-hmm. like i'm i'm happy mike did this interview because i'm yes. too much of a fangirl to actually like uh I, at this point I feel like I, I'd be yeah, I, I would be like too overblown to have a conversation with him uh <laughs> without like asking him a bunch of questions about his own music that would lead us down a rabbit hole that's completely unnecessary. <laughs> but yeah, he retweeted it and I or not retweeted it, he uh whatever you said, reposted Restoried? it. Restoried, I don't know. Restoried, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was
1: in your story and he reposted that and that was cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was it was really really cool, and it was it was interesting because I just got a TikTok mm-hmm. because I'm in my 30s and TikTok has yet to be appealing to me, but there are a lot of cute cat videos on there. Yes, uh, and as any weaker than fan, you know, can tell you, we love we love cats. I think collectively, uh, but I, I found him on TikTok almost immediately mm-hmm. after that in a video where the overlaid uh, sound. Was his Mm -hmm. cover of uh, "Plea" and him playing with his cat? And I was like, "Oh wow, this is kind of odd that I'm just here and like they don't like." I didn't write I'm a Weaker Than's fan in my profile or anything. It's it's just that algorithm is weird. Um, (laughs) Um, did was it the live version or was it an acoustic version? I didn't actually see the TikTok. I think it was an acoustic version. Okay, Uh, yeah. It was. It was. Uh, I, I. don't know. Again, I don't know how TikTok works, but it, it was just like under underlying the 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 video. I, I was too obsessed with watching the cat in the video, uh, so it the, the song I, for whatever reason took a backseat at that moment.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, that song very rarely takes
0: backseat, but in that in that circumstance, you know. Yeah, I mean, when it's an actual cat, not a fictional cat that I've been obsessed with for the past fifteen years, whatever, yes. you know.
1: Yeah. So not only that, um, lots of, uh, more feedback, uh, lots of interest in the podcast, which has been really great. Um, yeah, I think we've doubled all of our initial streams overall. So that's really been awesome. Hot dang. So people are, people are hearing about us, you know, listening to us jabber on about the weaker than's.
0: <laughs> and mean various there's people things. who want to listen to this oh okay good believe good. it or not welcome yeah oh, i'm very yes. happy about that
1: welcome to us jabber on about those what, what was it again middle-aged left middle soft rock left yeah middle-aged soft
0: rock? leftist soft rock yes which, from the middle of canada yeah we just need people to tell us if they want stickers or t-shirts that say that <laughs> <We> <laughs> that would be I, great I really, I think sticker. I think it would be great. I, I, I will <laughs> definitely make that into a sticker as soon as I can. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, so
1: last week I talked to a really interesting musician out of Toronto, uh, Bridget Fry, um, one of the singers of Moscow Apartments. Moscow Apartments is a really great indie band. In Toronto, two young female singers, uh, really great. Um, won numerous awards, very like still getting going. Um, I could definitely tell they're going places, uh, very talented. Um, and I've, I, what I've heard they've had a lot of, uh, people working on the production of their actual music. So that's been really neat as well. Um, I'm always down for, you know, more, you know, female and you know people of black, it's just people of color, you know, getting out there and being represented. And uh, in the interview, uh, I actually talked with Bridget about that, and you know how it's in how that's going in the indie scene. And you know, that's that's that was a very interesting conversation uh, because you know there's there, there will always be the old the old timers that are like uh, you know I want my old folk. I don't want this um you know yeah. whatever <laughs> you know
0: they're, they're still waiting for Dylan to go back to acoustic oh yeah <laughs> sorry about that uh being someone who has who lived in Duluth which is close enough to his birthplace for rabid fan base to exist in that place uh yeah I I'm I'm okay if Dylan just stays wherever he's at doing whatever he's doing uh, absolutely it was it was it was a i don't know i I'm, I might get flack for this but I, I I'm gonna be totally honest I was never a big Dylan fan so uh yeah i'm I'm sorry to everybody it, I just didn't get it it didn't seem as like political as Phil Oaks yeah uh, it didn't seem as like rough around the edges as like you know 80s 90s like folk punk uh mm. it, it just like fell in this like I don't know this like curve of like musicians that I don't listen to because they're a little too soft for my uh taste but at the same time, I guess I am an avid Weekend Lens fan. Maybe I'll maybe I'll listen to Bob Dylan again. But yeah, uh, it is interesting note to, to watch people push back against various types of folk, uh, mm-hmm. and it's 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 sad, really. Uh, it's it's nice to have a perspective that isn't cis white male, you know, in 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 the community. Not to mention, for years, uh, I actually had commented this. Uh, towards the, the, I follow uh, Scott to network on YouTube and commented this, this idea that uh, people are pushing back on the idea that, uh, that they're, they're, they're saying there's no racism in ska. There's no racism in, in punk rock and stuff like that. There's like a lot of white folks saying that. And it's, it's really funny because it's one of two things, either these people are coming to the shows, you know, people of color, you know, black people, indigenous people are coming to the shows. And they're getting shit on for being who mm. they are or being like straight up called names. Uh, again, like reaching back to the first episode we did together in that interview, uh, you know, talking about Nazis being at shows, like that was a thing in the eighties that it doesn't yep. exist as prevalently or maybe not as openly as it does, you mm-hmm. know, uh, like now, but, uh, but you know, in my town, I, I, I'm going to be totally honest. I, if, if there were people of color there, if there were black people there, I either didn't notice or they weren't there. And I think that in and of itself sends a message about how racist the punk scene can be, because if you, if they're not coming to punk shows when 60% of your city is, is black, then there's something wrong with your punk scene. And so I can understand why being a musician in, in, especially in this time still, which is just sad, uh, can, can definitely be, be very, very hurtful at times. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, again, like you said, I listened to a couple of their tracks and they are definitely going places. This is, I, I added them to a, <laughs> to a playlist just because they're, they're incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's,
1: it's really like, it's mind blowing because like, I wouldn't think that they're, you know, 18, 19 years old, like it's it's really great like it's it's kind of it's nice to see that generational like it's almost for me it's almost like the two generations down it's like yeah i'm 37 so it's like it's almost like yeah it's almost like they're they're that new generation that's coming out and gonna be changing the music
0: like atmosphere like all around and, and also, I would say, too, that their music comes with a sincerity mm-hmm. that I feel is is sometimes lacking in, in a lot of the scenes that I grew up with. I mean, when we talk about Propagandian stuff, there's times where I would like listen to a song in my car by Propagandi. And it, if you're if you to like listen to the lyrics out of context, it could probably come off as racist, but you don't realize they're like being completely sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, in some cases you're like okay I hope no one walks by and thinks I'm a Nazi because they're they're hearing this <laughs> like one lyric out of context What's
1: because clan robes
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, and it's 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 uh so yeah I mean just like listening to that stuff you know and, and then hearing the sincerity uh, the lyrics are a little more straightforward there's no like I don't know there's no sarcasm to it's 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 incredible music and yeah it's it's crazy to think that. I'm almost twenty years older than they are, and to hear something so mature, uh, mm-hmm. you know, come from someone who is, gosh, oh, I just kind of realized that my son is very old. Uh, who is, you know, seven years older than my son. So it's, 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 it's heartening, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not to completely focus on their age at all. But yeah, yeah. it's, 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 it's incredible to know that. There was a time where I was a little, I don't know, I guess people are using the word black pill now or whatever about the scene because I was like, oh, no one's picking up a guitar anymore. Everybody is like moving into like electronic music and things like that. And then you hear something like this come out of a generation where I thought it was void of of instrumentation, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to knock on electronic music either, uh, but it was, it was, it, I, I kind of had wondered like, should I even get my kids guitars or things like that? Like, is that, is this going to be a thing that people still do? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh it's interesting. It's interesting to, to hear. And uh, again, uh, everything I've heard so far is it, it's, it's yeah, it's coming up. It's, it's coming up, <laughs> up millhouse. Indeed.
2: Indeed.
1: Um, so it was, I found it kind of fitting that we actually talked about, um, everything must go just based on the age. Um, and we kind of talked about it briefly, how in the interview, um, how, because of COVID, um, she, she, and a lot of her peers are not able to really grasp the, the coming of age, you know, being 18, you know, going to college, you know, um, there's a lot of big steps that they're, they're missing out on right now. And, um, and that has a lot to do with, like, you know, writing writing music as well. Like, you go through there's a lot of things you go through in that period of your life.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and that's the thing. If, if I, I've been thinking about that with my own children, about how they're stunted a year, mm. about how they spent an entire year on a computer uh, rather than actually talking to uh, kids in their class. Like my son just came downstairs today. And uh, had stated, I made a new friend, and I'm like, you've been in school for you know a year now in this <laughs> in this newer school, and you've met one person. That's that's amazing, because uh, mm-hmm. I, I honestly didn't. I started to see it as not possible almost. Yeah. And I I kind of I kind of I, I again it's it's the same goes for. There's an entire generation who didn't get an in person graduation. They didn't get an in person. Yeah. Uh, tour of a college or anything like that like everything's very very different right now uh and it's it's such a it's it's going to affect exactly one age range of people and Mm -hmm. i kind of think about that when it comes to like generation x the from what i understand was the smallest generation uh and how again we're going to have this group of people who uh their success might be dependent on that or their uh, really the relationships or their uh, mm-hmm. friendships that they'll build are based on and maybe stunted by that. And it's, it's, yeah, it's very interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that, you know, talking about a song, well, we can kind of, um, we can take something from it because um, it's, it's, it's a lot of like different um, symbols that we use on in growing up. So,
0: yeah yeah there's a lot (laughs) in this this is this is what i uh, this is the always the song i go to when i give people examples about how john writes songs and how some of them are straight up lists of things (laughs) and uh this is this is one of those list songs that i enjoy heavily Uh, yeah so yeah i'm very excited to get into this
1: yeah and i mean i I think I talked about it in the interview with with Bridget as well, like how this is like, it's such a weird intro to an album, you know, it's, it's so soft and it never really breaks at any point. And then it, and then it goes into a side and then watermark, yep. which are two of like the, the poppiest rock songs in the, on the entire album.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's, again, it's a, a lot of people who moved to fallow, I feel came from the propaganda side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, who came from the punk scene. And I can't imagine them moving into this album and then being like, <laughs> oh, well, well, fuck this. What, What? Did, yeah. what where, where did this go? Uh, but at the same time, I, I think that, I think that it was a little bit softer. The lyrics were a little clearer than the first album. Yeah. Uh, I think that actually allowed for an entire new generation of people to move into this music. Uh, again mm-hmm. this is the, i feel like everybody who started listening to this band in in the early 2000s you know mid 2000s or whatever I, the, it was it was when emo was getting really big yeah and uh and you know you you, you were you were uh, finding various bands that you would have never have found before uh and so, again, the softness, I just felt like it, it really introduced like an, an entire different side of the punk scene or even some of the mainstream into this album. Mm-hmm. And I think that because of the, the topics, it was it was very relatable uh, for a lot of people, too.
1: And, and I know that this song actually, um, it, I'm pretty sure it didn't originally come out on this album. I think it was like a, a compilation. There was a compilation version of it that came out first. Yeah, was that Um, the G7? Maybe. I was actually just kind of trying to look for it. And I've heard it before and it's totally different. Yeah. Than the actual version on, like, I know there's a couple versions of the actual song that are, like, of the actual songs that are different. Like, he does, like, this one. And I don't know. I can't remember all of them. There's, There's too many. But yes. Um, The other version of this is completely different. Um, uh, Lyrically, it's absolutely the same. But yes, there is the one on the Return of the Red Menace, I believe it's called. Oh, yeah. It was on the G7. Yeah. Yep. So that came out in 99.
0: It's incredible. Uh, Mm. I I think about that, and I also think about how uh, The Sound of Punk to Come by Refused came out around that time, too. I think 98. Yeah. And I just think about how how far ahead of the curve these folks are, because (laughs) when you think about uh, that entire Refused album, I I think about how that was five years before I listened to any music like it. Yeah. uh, Or I found any music like it. And, And the same goes for The Weaker than's. The fact that this came out in 1999 just floors me because I feel that either I was not paying attention to the indie scene at all. Mm-hmm. Or this was just kind of a slap in the face because even emo at that time, when we're talking about, uh, like I think the Get Up Kids had an album by then. Gosh, oh, my yeah. brain is yeah. fried from that era. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of that the emo that came out was was indie, but it was it was still very different than this.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it was like that. It was that weird, like Canadian, pokey indie punky you know it was I feel that like it was very almost specific to Canada that sound because there was a lot of different
0: bands that were doing that yeah I mean we had again we had like the Midwest emo that was very it was indie Mm -hmm. but I think that was more denoted by its art style like cover style was very different it was very uh, I would say probably some of the best graphic design that came out of the late 90s uh it was emo album covers and then we had like the various like stuff that came out of the dc hardcore scene and mm-hmm. neither one of them sound like it i don't i don't know and also folk at that time i feel was was not again at least in the american mindset uh, i was working at coffee shops where we had a bluegrass band that would come in and that's what we thought folk was uh, <laughs> because they would they would come in and uh play a, a jangly you know, riff or something. And you're like, oh, okay, that's folk. I understand what folk is. Or we had bright eyes, I guess, could probably fall under folk a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but again, it even all of Saddle Creek sounded completely different. I, I do truly think that the Weaker Thans brought this sound out of Canada that was completely different from anything I had heard. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, I would say well before its time, because then we started getting things like Mumford and Son and stuff like that, which, w- you know, very uh mainstream in in and of its right you know yeah but folk came out in a bigger way in america much later than this album yeah i guess that's what that, i'm trying to get to the core of saying
1: i think that Mumford and Sons' album came out in 2010 so that's like and out al- 10 years after left and leaving
0: yeah and and again <laughs> not to re- relate either one of them because i also yes. know that we we also had uh we had the mountain goats but mm-hmm. again i mean sounds similar but i would actually probably vote that he would have never considered himself part of the punk scene mm-hmm. uh until the punk scene just adopted him because we we're like yeah this is this is uh this is our grandfather like he's a person that, <laughs> that that's allowed here now because we relate to his music uh but yeah i mean it's it's you know like ajj uh the front bottoms a lot of these bands they came out much much later but i would say they might have been influenced by this or you know, mischief brew or whatnot. But uh, yeah, again, it's, it has this nice folk sound. It's very mellow, but at the same time, it still has that, that backbone of coming out of the punk scene. So the lyrics are very punctuated. The, the, the actual music, the the guitar, the drums, you, you can kind of feel it going in that, that direction, especially with this song because you expect it to kind of pick up at the end or something. And it Mm -hmm. just never does. (laughs) It is, it is literally like bath time music. You just like relax. You just, and you just listen to this song. And again, even though the lyrics can be, I would say maybe even a little dark uh, and still, again, have that kind of punk. I make minimum wage kind of attitude to it. It's pretty interesting.
1: I, I think this song actually has like the drums, are almost like jazzy in this song too. It's got kind of like this coffeehouse jazzness to it.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and I think that just comes from just having a, a, a cast of folks who I think they they actually started. Again, I mean, in the beginning of punk, nobody knew how to play their instruments, and these are just like mm-hmm. punks who learned how to play their instruments really well. And you can always tell that with this band and a lot of bands. Uh, from around this time they started to take influence outside of punk rock yeah uh, I mean you can't un- unlearn the four chord thing to an extent but yeah it's 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 definitely uh grown it's it's grown up I guess in a sense
1: mm-hmm. it, it's interesting when like Frank talks about um how John plays music as well like even just like solo how he does like the stretch chords like the bars and it's like, yeah, the music itself sounds so simple, but it's not.
0: And that's the thing. It's <laughs> I, I know that around the time that I heard this album, um, we'll probably go into this much further, but I was in a lot of trouble at that time for uh, uh, my graffiti art. Hmm. Uh, I guess if you want to call it that more, more protest art than anything. Uh, and when I heard this song, I was kind of like trapped in a place with a guitar, and I tried to learn these songs, and I was just like, "How is this so hard? <laughs> what, why?" I thought this was the guy from the Weaker Than's who played bass of all things, if I remember correctly. Like, mm-hmm. h- how is how is this so difficult? He's a bass player.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about um, like Frank and I talked about even like the reasons. That's just got that crazy like. Yeah. Ugh, it's so good. and it's just and I feel like it's not just John as well. I, like it's you know it's Stephen Carroll. that's just was an amazing guitarist.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> and that's the thing too. I, I, I guess I, I I think that I consistently forget that there's other people in the band. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, it's it's. It's it's just I don't know. I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's it's such a great uh it's just such a great blend. I mm-hmm. I because again you you can hear the influences here and there, but somehow it culminates into this sound and it just seems natural. So it doesn't it doesn't feel like rap rock. But yeah, you know, you're mixing folk and punk and and they're finding this this like middle ground and then pulling in indie and jazz, but only in quite possibly the, <laughs> the best of ways. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I feel like well, there's going to be a uh, drinking game of all the times I say, but yeah, I say it a well, lot. Well, it's okay. So. I, I say the, I don't know. There's, there's definitely things that I've gone through.
1: Like, Oh, I say that a lot.
0: That's oh, yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> if anyone wants to call us on it Then well Well nothing's going to change but Let's be honest Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright so we'll get to the interview um, You could listen to me Kind of uh, fan out over Bridget and tell her how much I love her music At least two times in the interview and, and yeah And we'll come back after And then we'll talk about the song Because that's what we do It is Sometimes Indeed sometimes and then we go on tangents about curling rinks (laughs) forever so we'll be right back after this lovely interview all right so this is Mike Robichaud coming at you from Guelph, Ontario, Canada this is Sounds Familiar a podcast for the weaker dance and i have a guest with me today uh and i will let her introduce herself
3: cool hello i'm bridget fry um i am a member of the indie band moscow apartment and a lifelong fan of the weaker dance
1: awesome so i just realized as i was kind of going through some stuff and checking out your social media presence that you actually did the hillside inside like was that like a week or a week and a half ago?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we we uh, we're big Hillside lovers. We actually, our first show was ever was at Hillside Inside. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, it was cool to do something virtual for it again this year.
1: Yeah. Uh, where did you play? Like the first time you played?
3: I mean, we played <laughs> at some little clothing store. I don't remember the name of it in downtown Guelph. Okay. Um yeah, I don't I don't remember the name but um we initially f- like formed I guess through a um this program called Girls and Guitars which was yeah. a songwriting workshop through Hillside. Um me and my bandmate Pascal we carpooled together to it since neither of us could drive. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. Yeah, her dad would drive us there every that, week.
1: That's awesome. Um I've actually, I've, I've lived in Guelph for probably seven years and have never done Hillside, and I feel that's bad. What? Yeah. It's so great. I've
3: you been know, going, oh, it's great. It's a great festival.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think it's always because um, I work in restaurants, so my hours are kind of weird. and. Right. Yeah, and it's always during the summer, and I can't just by taking time off to go. But one day I will go. One of my good friends, like, volunteers and, like, works the bar and just camps out all weekend and she does it every year. So, so yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. So I guess when you were talking about how you and Pascal kind of met, uh, tell me how you, I guess, got into music.
3: Um, I mean, yeah, I kind of just always, uh, I always think it's a boring story because my story of music is just, Oh, I've been doing it since I was a kid, which isn't the most interesting story, but it's true. um yeah so none of my parents are necessarily musicians um my dad and stepdad dabble um but my whole family are like huge music fans so i've been going to festivals since i was really little my mom has a lot of friends who are musicians so i've always just kind of been surrounded by it and um when i was two i got really obsessed with the idea of playing violin And so the first instrument I ever learned was violin. I have been playing classical violin for about 14 years. Um, And yeah, I've just kind of always, my parents have been bringing me to folk festivals my whole life. And then I just got into more like rock kind of stuff. And uh, me and my bandmate, we actually met when I was five and she was six, I think, at um, choir. (laughs) We were in the same room. children's, uh, choir, and yeah, so yeah, she's kind of been doing it my whole life.
1: Cool, cool. Uh, so you and I have spoken about how your other band member isn't really like into the weaker thans. Mm-hmm. Um, have you tried to kind of like enforce that, like push it? like, like, ah, oh, they're so good.
3: Yes, no, I, <laughs> I she's not, not into the weaker than Okay. Uh, she likes them. She's yeah. just not, I guess, like a weaker than fan.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but she was really excited when she heard I was doing this podcast. She was like, let me know when it's out and I'll listen to it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've, I've definitely tried. She, I mean, I guess part of the reason I love the weaker than so much, obviously their music's amazing. There's no denying that, but part of it for me is nostalgia because both my mom and my stepdad are huge weaker Vance fans, so I've grown up listening to their music.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, she grew up in like a more jazz family, so okay. she doesn't have the same kind of, like she wasn't really raised on that kind of music. Um, but yeah, no, she totally likes them. She's been <laughs> open to covering their songs before. She's just not like a okay.
1: super fan or
3: anything.
1: Yeah, I find, um, I, I've had this conversation before that like you either really like them or it's just like kind of like a passing, passive liking of them. I find once you, like, really get into them, it's almost like an obsession.
3: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
1: (laughs) Um, Have you gotten a chance to see, like, uh, John K. live at all yet?
3: Yes. So I saw – I know I've seen either the Weaker Vans or John K. Sampson a good amount of times. Most of them were when I was a kid, so I don't remember Mm -hmm. them. I know my mom saw them when she was pregnant with me. I think I saw either John K. Sampson or Weaker Vans a couple times when I was, like, two, three – at various folk festivals. I don't remember that at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess like growing up, the weaker Bands was just kind of music. My parents liked, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And I didn't really like register it. And then when I was like 13, I guess 14, I started really getting into their music on my own. Mm-hmm. And, um, so me and my bandmate were at Winnipeg Folk Festival,
4: yeah.
3: um, doing their like artist development program and i didn't even know that john k sampson was playing at the yeah. festival i had no idea um and i was like we were on the other end of the festival grounds when he started playing and i just heard it i just like grabbed her and like dragged <laughs> her and we caught a couple of his songs and that was really cool
1: mm-hmm.
3: um so that's the only time i remember seeing them but i know yeah. there have been other times
1: I know actually, um, I, I've come across people that have actually gone to Winnipeg for the Folk Festival and I guess John K. Simpson has actually done like, um, like songwriter series where he teaches like songwriting to musicians. And I always thought that would be really cool.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's been a mentor for some of the artist development stuff before. I don't quote me on that. I know I'm saying in the podcast, so it will be, but like <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's done some development stuff there too, so that's yeah. really
1: cool. Yeah, there was a guy, I, I believe he he's from um he's from Toronto, uh, uh, John John Moore or something like that.
3: Oh my god, yeah, okay. So that's John Muirhead, my friend. Yes. yes. Okay. I was I was like, did John K. Sampson mentor him or am yeah. I making that up? But yeah, no, that happened. Yeah. Yeah,
1: he uh he messaged me when I was working on the One Great Tribute, and uh he said that he had worked with them and he he had done a version of One Great City and it's like it's out there in cyberspace. So I thought that was kind of cool, and it's interesting that through the six degrees of Kevin Bacon that you, <laughs> you yeah know no, you totally. know this person. So yeah, that's really awesome.
3: Um, yeah. Well, and I have I know a few of the people who have played on the um, tribute album, which is cool.
1: Um, I, I take it you probably know Sky.
3: I do. Yeah. We uh, yeah. she played. She played a. Um, fundraiser I did just before COVID hit last year mm-hmm. um, to raise funds for the Wet'suwet'en um, yep. protests that were going on. And then lowest of the low, um, friends with my manager and another one of my dad's favorite bands. That's so, awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah, he he did the first episode. I don't know if you've come to check that out yet. I
3: haven't yet, but yeah.
1: yeah. It is, yeah, it's on Spotify. Um do you know any of the other artists on there, or just...
3: not off the top of my head? I, I I have to say I haven't listened. I hadn't listened to the tribute album recently, but I, I remember hearing those two tracks. And yeah. I was like, oh, cool. I know those people, and I, I loved Sky Wallace's. Yeah. Uh, recording. I thought she did a really cool thing with that song.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ron and I kind of touched on that, and he he was a really big fan of it because he a very big champion of Sky. Um. I actually saw them. That was right before, in December, just before COVID hit. They, they did those, like, two shows. They did, like, they played Lee's Palace and they played the Horseshoe, and I saw them play at the uh, Lee's Palace. So that was cool. really cool. But uh, I, I was, like, really hoping that Sky would play her version of Without Mythologies,
3: mm-hmm. but apparently
1: it's, like, it hasn't made its way into the repertoire yet, so.
3: Oh, that's too bad.
1: <laughs> that's okay, though, because um her album that came out last year was incredible so
3: yeah she's amazing
1: yeah um yeah so I think yeah so the the tribute album um I thought that was really cool uh it's I I got a hold of a lot of people that weren't able to like work things out obviously you and your band weren't able to um but it kind of led us to this so that's Mm -hmm. kind of exciting um so I, I guess like um if it were ever to come to it, would you like do like a live recording of like a John K. Sampson song?
3: Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I um yeah, I'm like a huge Weaker Lands fan. And then me and Pascal were discussing doing a cover of Vampire Alberta from or Vampire Alberta Blues or whatever it's called from yep. his uh recent solo album, just cause something um we're both very passionate about is climate. activism and climate change and so we were trying to brainstorm like Canadian climate songs and I was like this one is like cool and kind of subtle and yeah weird and yeah so yeah no it's definitely something that we've thought about doing before
1: yeah um yeah uh I would love to talk to you about that like in the future um I would love to like just if even just to have like a a play it on the trailer or something like that I think that'd be really cool yeah yeah um yeah uh but it's really interesting you bring up that song, um, because, in terms of like um, climate change, and I, I find that there's a lot of like themes that go along with John and weaker than songs, not necessarily, necessarily like climate change, but like just like destructions of like, you know, social programs throughout his music. Um, you have the plea from a cat named for two day, um, which is essentially you know, mental health all the way through to the 17th Street Treatment Center. And then the most depressing song ever, which is you know, the for two day rests or whatever, that last song. And uh, <laughs> I know uh, my last interview, um, I talked with Frank Turner and uh, he talks about how he can't get through that without, you know, like shedding a tear. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, um, he, his music is a uh... Yeah. It can be depressing sometimes, which, yeah. you know, I, I like, I like sad music,
1: but so. we, we, we talked about that. And it's like, while it is sad, uh, it, there's, there's always a glimmer of hope in everything he sings.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, especially in like, um, there's like themes in terms of, um, like left and leaving is a very, people tend to think that's a very sad song. Um, I
4: love
1: that song. it's a great song. It's a beautiful song. And, um, how you know it? It can be construed in such a way as about a, like a, a relationship, but at the same time, it could be about you know leaving behind a city that you've that you love, and you know it's kind of disappearing before your eyes. You know, like like um, what's that line from the song? Um, Buildings gone missing like teeth. And yeah, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> and uh, in songs like "One Great City" and "Heart of the Continent," it's very similar where it's you're you're losing part of town that you love and uh i think that you know as somebody that is a young person in the largest city in canada i think you could speak to that a little bit you know it's
3: (laughs) yeah no i could um yeah no being a young person in canadian music scene is hard sometimes especially in I mean I I guess I say especially in Toronto. I don't know if it's like this in other cities just cuz I don't I'm not like in touch with the music scenes.
0: Mm-hmm. But
3: uh yeah, it can be really depressing or just something to be a musician in Toronto with how many like how many music venues shut down even before covid and yeah. Um and yeah, and I, a lot of the venues that shut down are all ages venues. Mm-hmm. So um me and my friends have been going to like punk shows and rock shows since middle school um and i'm now graduating high school and the amount of venues we've seen shut down and it's like damn like that was one of the few places we could actually go to see live music without paying like
1: yeah
3: 80 bucks or whatever um yeah no it very same vibes as some of his songs anyway i'm getting off topic but
1: no that's actually <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely right on. Um, I know that that that's a problem across, and it's always like important to uh, to talk about, especially like I when I was younger, I went to punk shows in Toronto, and that was a really big thing for me. And I mean, I mean, there's there's obviously like a generational divide. Like you probably never went to shows at the cool like the cool house or the cathedral, but no. like <laughs> yeah, it, it, but like those like places like that where they would have all ages shows and you you see it and it's, you want that, you know, people to be able to have that because it's so important. Yeah. And I I feel that, um, especially somebody like John, like he's so, he's, he's so in touch with the arts and making sure that people, you know,
4: Mm -hmm. it's very
1: important. Um, so I kind of went off on a tangent a little bit there, (laughs) but um, so as I was listening to your E p, there is the song eighteen. Yes, so the intro to that song. I don't know if you if you know this or if this is something that like just kind of out of brain out of mind, like it sounds very similar to the song None of the above off of fallow.
3: Yes, okay. so uh, I didn't write the intro to that song. okay so it's not if it if it is influenced by that, it's not on me. All right. uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't notice until you pointed it out. Um, there's tons of things like that though. Um,
1: it's not a bad thing. I just thought it was really cool.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I take it as a compliment. Um, me and Pascal never really know what our music sounds like until someone is like, oh, this reminded me of this because we both listen to so many different kinds of music um, mm. that our influences are not intentional most of the time it just kind of comes through without us realizing and then someone will be like oh this sounds like this artist i'm like cool i'll take your word for it Uh, (laughs) but yeah um yeah it wasn't intentional however that's really cool i mean i i love so yeah so our ep me and pascal um with the exception of one song we co-produced it with (laughs) our friend Guillermo Sabast. um and I, I love the production on um, Weekend stuff, especially. I'm, this is the thing, I don't even know the name of the album. What's the album that has um, Pamphleteer and.
1: Uh, it's Left and Leaving.
3: Yeah, okay, it is Left and Leaving. I love the production on that album. I think it's great. There's just something so cool about the drums on it.
1: Yeah.
3: I oh, can't she, Jason's amazing. It. Yeah, there's just, there's something so distinct about. I mean, weaker than lyrics and and yeah. you know the whole thing, but especially the drums. It's like something I can't explain or pinpoint. Um, but I love so yeah. I take it as a huge compliment. It wasn't intentional, but um, it's great.
1: Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting that you uh, like you, you mentioned like the, the the drums because I, I find that with the the weaker than's people kind of like oh John K. John K. John K. But um, Jason Tate is such like an important part of that band. Um, I mean, he he's played with the Broken Social Scene. Um, He he played with Fembots as well as uh, Greg, who's also in Lowest of the Low. So um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, Jason played with either the Bahamas or Beaches or I don't know, but yeah. So
3: he he Bahamas.
1: Yeah. So yeah, yeah he, he's of
3: iconic fans that I love. I didn't know that. I had no idea. But my yeah. God, I love all these fans. So yeah, he's, cool.
1: he's he's a very very talented drummer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the do you know who Ian Blurton is? Producer. So he he's the guy that produced uh, Left and Leaving, and he has okay. done like so much. Uh, he's a Canadian singer songwriter, and he has produced so many like he, he played drums for the cowboy junkies okay cool yeah yeah so he yeah but he, I'm he just got that,
3: names, that's okay
1: yeah he also like yeah he's done a lot of really cool stuff um, he's produced albums with the lowest of the low um, Rio statics yeah weaker thans attack and black Amy Milan that's so it. <laughs>
3: the rheostatics Kerr, he produced my first ep yeah when i was like 12 um so yeah he's great awesome yeah um, so
1: cool. have you heard the weaker thans cover of the rheostatics
3: oh, i don't think i have yeah that's really it's, cool. it's pretty it nifty
1: i believe it was only released um like online
3: okay
1: but yeah, I'll try it's... That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's another person i would like i would love to connect with i i I mean, they're just a really great band, so.
3: Yeah. No, they are.
1: They did a uh, Bad Time to Be Poor.
3: Okay, cool. I, yeah. will, um, I will look for that.
1: Yeah. So one thing we kind of do uh, when we're talking on the podcast is we, we go song to song. Um, mm-hmm. The first song we did with Ron was Pamphleteer, obviously, because he covered the song on the Tribute album.
3: I'm um, mad about that. I just want to—I want to say that off the top of my head. I wanted to do that one. Um, I mean, I love the song that I chose too, but I'm yeah. mad that you took that one because um, that was my mom and my stepdad's uh, first song. Like that was their song for their first dance at their wedding. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very like song for yeah. our family. We love.
1: Um, yeah, I, I would recommend listening to uh, the first episode then, because you you might learn a thing or two about the actual song itself. It's really interesting. I really delved deep into it so okay, cool. uh but yeah i, I understand it's a, it's a really great song um and frank and i talked about uh we did heart of the continent so it was also really great because frank's really great and a huge weaker than his fan um yeah he's covered like six weaker than his songs
3: <laughs> yeah i feel like i'm totally happy to be on this podcast but i feel a little bit of imposter syndrome because I love their music and I've been listening to it my whole life, but I'm not the kind of person who gets like obsessed with a band. So I love their music, but I don't mm-hmm. know much about it, but.
1: Oh, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So everything must go. Um, I, uh, it's a very interesting, uh, opening song. Um, cause it kind of like, it's a slow, very drawn out intro and, um, It's it's um it's different. If you listen to the first album, it's very a lot more like raw and like kind of punky. But then you have this opening of this this album that has like these great lyrics, but it's really slow. Mm-hmm. And then it's seconded by like what I think the second song is a side. Mm-hmm. So and then all of a sudden you're kicked back into this like this yeah. raw punk rock sound. But it's really great because it's breaking it down like line to line it's there there's so much imagery
3: oh yeah no the the lyrics are so great i am yeah. um, i'm not usually one to remember lyrics like have yeah. them memorized for anything even my own songs <laughs> um and my mom printed out the lyrics to the song for me she was like oh like just if you in case you want to have them on hand and i i just got offended and just like sang the whole song through and i was like i know the lyrics don't fight me on this um so yeah the lyrics are great the fact that i can remember basically the whole thing is a rare occurrence
2: yeah
1: um it's really interesting because i i've listened to some podcasts talking there's um there's a there's a guy named brandon kelly i don't know if you know who that is He's a lead singer of a band called the Lawrence Arms. And uh, yeah, so he does a podcast where they do like, I think it's week to week or every few weeks, they do an album breakdown, like a whole album breakdown. And they did Left and Leaving. And uh, they talked about this song uh, specifically in that it's so specific in the things that he talks about. Um, And if anyone else were to write a song like this, they wouldn't get away with it.
3: No. Yeah, no, I, I imagine, like, if I tried to, like, write this song in a writing session, every co-writer would be like, what are you doing? This is not going to, no one's going to relate to this song. Yeah. But it works. But, it totally yeah, works.
1: absolutely. But it's yeah. like, when I was talking to Ron about Pamphleteer, especially, he has that, he uses the word Gestetner. And it's like, nobody should be able to use that word in a song.
3: <laughs> I don't <laughs> even know what that word means, so.
1: I believe it's just a printing press.
3: Oh, okay, yeah, cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it's like instead of putting printing press, he makes the he he takes the like a, a brand name and just uses yeah. that.
3: Yeah, no, he, his lyrics are great. Sorry, I realize this is a podcast. I can't do hand motions to describe <laughs> things. That was like uh, an okay sign. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, he, he in in some circumstances uh, he might date himself in a way, uh, but at the same time, like it's so relatable it doesn't really matter yeah like when he talks about um the cordless razor that my father brought me when I turned 17 like that 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 in, in itself is like a symbol of manhood yeah um but at the same time it, it's just it's like a coming of age right um mm-hmm. it's, it's the same as having a puke green sofa <laughs> when you move out on yeah. your own you have the most ridiculous things like you steal cutlery and coffee cups mm-hmm. because you can't afford. You know, I, yeah. I, that's essentially all of the the entire song is about that, like going to mm-hmm. garage sale and. or I think I, it's.
3: I personally can't relate to the song yet because I still live with my parents, but um. <laughs> <laughs> but I get that the whole coming of age thing, and my bandmate, my best friend Pascal, she just moved into her first apartment a few months ago and it's totally the same thing um we're in a bubble for covid so i go to her apartment every couple of weeks and i'll show up mm. and she's like oh look at this toaster i found in the side of the road <laughs> only half of the side works but you know like and she'll just take stuff like that and um see she, she does have a green sofa it's not uh it's it's a very nice color it's like <laughs> green but she does have a green sofa and like same same kind of thing she just like has random shit all over her apartment and it's like her first one and yeah
1: <laughs> yeah I, and i think it's really interesting um i i think that people might be missing out like there's a lot of people that are currently missing out and coming of age because of COVID. um oh yeah like it's almost like stunted growth in yeah. a lot of ways which i i think it's very unfortunate um
3: it is it totally is basically all my friends including me have turned 18 which is supposed to be such a big year um mm-hmm. where they can't see any of their friends and they can't go out and it sucks yeah so, yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but like the, like this song uh he talks about having like a cracked up compass in a pocket watch it's like in no song are you are you gonna be like here, I have these things or some plastic daffodils. Like these Mm -hmm. are just things that you would have lying around the house.
3: Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's great. The imagery is so, yeah. I mean, I think it's really cool. Something that me and Pascal always try to kind of capture in our songwriting is something that I think this song pulls off really well where it's like the lyrics are very specific but the mood it creates is something that everyone can relate to Mm -hmm. so it doesn't come off as feeling generic or cheesy but it's still something that you can understand and everyone can kind of connect to which i think is really really great
1: for sure for sure um so i guess kind of move on from that song. Um, not that I don't love that song. I was listening to it uh, just before actually. I, I actually segued from uh <laughs> your your EP into that. And it was a it was an interesting little segue, but it was it worked and I liked it. It was like this nice like boom of like indie sonicness. <laughs> um so I think it's really interesting, and uh, we've talked about this on the podcast, uh, my co-host and I. Now, um, we feel that we, you know, the, the music world is kind of moving forward. Um, and I find that, you know, it's very particular, like, in, in bands, like, The Weaker Bands, and it was really big in, like, the 90s especially. Um, just making sure that people are comfortable, um, females, um, non-binary, queer folk, um, and just, you know, black indigenous persons of color. uh, They're very underrepresented uh, in music. Um, And do you find that, um, you know, like growing up in music that you've noticed a radical change?
3: Um, Yes and no yeah depends um me and pesco we've always kind of straddled the folk in the rock scene and Mm -hmm. there's total movements in both to kind of include it and then there's also the people who are still dragging their feet um yeah so we didn't form a girls rock camp but both me and pesco went to girls rock camp um growing up i think i went to the first year it happened in toronto and that has been something that has totally influenced us because it's all women and gender non-conforming people really diverse very mm-hmm. feminist um so that kind of like set where like this is what should be happening and this is totally acceptable and like everyone should be able to reach this kind of well welcoming vibe in the music industry um and then yeah the folk scene you know for the most part is really really <laughs> welcoming yeah. too. but you still have some like crotchety old people, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, and in rock, you still have kind of uh, pardon of my language, but like douchey rock guys, like it happens. Um, so yeah, it's something, it's something that I'm still noticing. There's a lot to be done, but I feel like it probably is a lot better than it used to be. Yeah, because um, there's, you know, like active intentions to have safe spaces and to have you know more women playing and um stuff like that but then you know i still feel incredibly uncomfortable walking into a music store on my own yeah um, and that's something that and and well my bandmate. so i'm uh you know yeah so we're both queer women and she's a woman of color so i stuff's a little different for her um she has a story of she walked into a guitar store in Toronto I'm not going to name which one but she was there with her father and her and her father are both um people of color and they wanted so they he, uh, her father has a really good guitar collection and and they both love guitars and mm-hmm. really just like like kind of geeking out about guitars um which I have started to do but I didn't grow up in a
2: musician so yeah.
3: um but they they went and he they were like oh we want to look at that guitar like you know like top of the wall one blah, blah, blah. And, and like the, the guy fully just was like oh you're not gonna be able to afford that one. Oh like, my goodness like racist ass in toronto in the 21st century like it's just so yeah and like both me and pascal have been harassed at shows so it's i don't know i feel like it's always it's like two steps forward and then one step back and yeah i don't know it's it's um it's tricky to kind of have inclusive safe spaces but we always try to be really aware of that at our own shows and Mm -hmm. every show we go to and anything we participate in um it's something that's really important to us so yeah i don't know there's progress
1: yeah Uh, yeah i think it's very important um I i love that there's a lot of um you know young folk that are getting into music and uh they're they're using their, you know, their more liberal minded progressive minds to not just, you know, include people, but just try to, you know, ask have answer you know, ask the questions of people and you know, just put, put their ideas out there because it's very important, you know, like that, like that's their, you know, that's your scene that you're you're gonna be growing up into, right? So it's always important to make sure that you're setting yourself up to succeed, um, not just as a musician, but as a person, um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that's really important. And, uh, it's really cool to see like, um, you know, just talking about climate change and, <laughs> um, totally, yeah. and, uh, yeah, it's really great. Like in, in Toronto, especially, um, I, I, feel that, you know, when I was coming up, nobody was ever talking about that. And, uh, so I, I think that's really cool
3: hmm Yeah. No, it's definitely super important. It's something we both feel really strongly about. Um, sometimes maybe a little too strongly. Um, I just, I know me and Pascal are going to end up pissing people off one day just because it's not like, we don't filter ourselves when it comes to our politics. We're just like, this is what we believe. And like, um, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's really important. And yeah I'm glad to see how many men and or like people in places of privilege like cis people you know mm-hmm. straight people white people are trying to take responsibility and really kind of open the doors for other people to come in and I think that's really exciting.
1: Yeah I, I, I feel as though um, like we, we have progressed a lot and there's you know there's always conversations to be had and you know I, people could always do a little bit better. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, like I've, I've, I've been talking with that a lot with my co-host, uh, who is non-binary. Um, and it's, it's kind of a weird reflection on, they, they live in, uh, Wisconsin. So, uh, we, we have our talks and, uh, the, the difference in our political landscape is so vast. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I I feel like like we're we're on the right path. We still have a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's really cool, and uh, I I'm 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 really glad to see that there's you know there's a positive force out there, and uh, that's and that's you know honestly like back to the point like you know like I I, I find that uh, that's the same in uh, a band like the Weaker Thans. they they were always a very positive force. Mm hmm. Um, You know, coming from a a band like Propagandi where, you know, they're very, very edgy. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you spent a lot of time listening to Propagandi, but their their politics are a little bit more extreme.
3: Personally, no, but I know of them. Yeah. Through my parents and whatnot. Yeah. um, I mean, both my parents are actually I should say all three, both my mom dad and step all very political it's something that Mm -hmm. i was born into um so yeah and i basically know any band that they like i'm safe to listen to because something (laughs) that happens so often especially in the last couple years is i'll find this really cool indie band and then i'll get super into their music and six months later turns out that one of them's a rapist or
4: yeah
3: something like that and it's like oh okay well there's one more band i can't listen to and there's another um and yeah, so I I like my parents are all very political. So I'm like, all right, basically anything they listen to, I can listen to, and I'm, yeah, I'm probably good because <laughs> yeah. they have great politics. And um, so yeah, no, yeah, uh, that's something I like to get from listening to yeah. <laughs> the music that my parents.
1: So, um, yeah, like um, so the band Gandhi, obviously John was the bass player. Um, I, I'm not sure if it was originally or not. Um, but he was there for two albums, and uh, if you ever go back to listen to them for whatever reason, he's he's got a couple songs that feature him, and they really kind of stick out because well, it's John, and he's got mm-hmm. that voice that's very recognizable. Oh yeah, um, he does. <laughs> and uh, they they really stick out on the albums because they're so different. Uh, as they're not really political songs, they're more like almost pop punk songs.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Like, uh, he, he does Letter of Resignation um, on one of the splits when it's just, like, him and a guitar, and it's very, like, reverb-y, um, which ended up on Fallow. Uh, he also does Anchorless, uh, which is on Fallow, I believe. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but that was also... What's that?
3: Oh, sorry. I'm just looking at their discography right now. I'm like, do I know any of these songs? Because my dad, my dad was a total uh, punk. Yeah. when he was younger. So I'm like, do I know any of these
4: songs? I'm
3: like, well, I'm looking at the, the titles. They definitely seem like songs he would have listened to. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know their music well, but I know of them. Yeah. definitely.
1: Yeah, so he does Anchorless, uh, which is um, on Let's Talk for Rock. And mm-hmm. uh, and there's also a Showdown uh, he does, which is like a half Greenest Eyes and just a song with Chris Hanna. Greenest Eyes was on like his very first cassette tape. <laughs> cool. Uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of like a, the little history lesson. Um, I mean, that that stuff is very like different in tone when it comes to weaker thans. Um, like obviously John is still very political. Um, yeah. Like a self-proclaimed Marxist Quaker. So he's very off the grid. Um, yeah yeah pretty much the only way you can get a hold of them is like you send them like, a postcard right? yeah
3: yeah um i mean yeah i'm kind of friends with with uh ron hawkins and so he's tried to put us in touch with john k Sampson or talked about it and he's like yeah you can only reach him through mail which i think is the best thing ever yeah. um <laughs> i think it's great
1: um yeah i mean if he ever comes out this way like the I know, like I've spoken with his like his booking agent and stuff like that. And, like, I think I I'm in, like I've been in touch with um, mm-hmm. John directly, just because uh, like I cleared the, the tribute album with him and we talked about mm-hmm. the, the podcast and everything. And I got to meet up with him when I was in Winnipeg in November cool. of 2019. So he's a very he's a very humble guy. And he's really great and he's really nice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we talked That's about
4: better.
1: like uh, th- like magic the gathering and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that something you wouldn't think to talk about with that
3: I'm a huge D&D fan I am I'm starting out my first I'm planning on DMing my first campaign because I don't have any school right now mm. um so I'm planning on DMing a campaign um, Excellent. for um female identifying people and gender non-conforming people and I'm very excited so yeah I, saw, I love that kind of stuff
1: I saw that Sky is playing too
3: oh really cool yeah I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, this yes. is just one with like my friends from high school, but yeah. um, that, yeah, no, I, I love d Um, my stepdad, my stepdad and my uncle, my uncle DM'd a game for me and some of my childhood friends and my childhood friends' parents for like six years or something, <laughs> like like a dedicated amount of time. So, That's
1: awesome. I, I yeah, love I, the fact I, that I, I love the fact that people seem to be getting back into it because it was always kind of like a fringe thing.
3: It's because of podcasts, man, because D D works so well in podcast form and everyone's getting yeah. into podcasts now and yeah, people, it's great. People
1: people have nothing better to do but sit at home and make podcasts.
3: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I um I submitted my manager Jeff and my bandmate to listening to D D podcasts for like a good three days when we were on the um on tour in the US. I was just like, all right, we're gonna listen to this for like eight hours straight and you don't get to say anything. Um, so yeah, I love, I love d and podcasts. Anyway, that's not related to anything we're talking about, but um, I just have to nerd out about that for a minute.
1: So you mentioned, uh, uh, touring in the States. Where, where did you tour through the States?
3: Okay. So tour may be an exaggeration. <laughs> um, <laughs> we played a few shows, uh, through, I mean, we've only really played in New York State and, mm-hmm. um, like the Boston area. Okay um and then we i'm trying to remember where we were on this trip i don't remember because we've gone like to that area of the us a few times um, mm-hmm. so yeah we played like around the finger lakes and then new york city and stuff like that yeah i i um that's like kind of the only part of new york or part of the us i've gone to
1: um yeah i know uh i i just know that uh like lowest of the low are really big in new york like buffalo so i was like oh buffalo, yeah 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 we played yeah. buffalo
3: a bunch of times we played at i don't remember the name of the place but annie defranco's like venue in buffalo
1: didn't even um, know thank DeFranco's venue there
3: I remember what it's called i think her record label is based out of there too and now i'm wondering did we open for the lowest of the low at that venue we might have. I have a horrible memory. Um, I think we did. I think we I think we opened for Lois of Low at Ani DeFranco's venue. That's it really was. cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And then I think we opened for the beaches there too. I don't I don't do you know the beaches? Yeah. Not really. Oh, okay. They're uh, they're upcoming Canadian female rock bands. They they're like maybe eight years older than me and Pascal, seven or okay. eight years. Um, but they came out of the same high school as us.
1: Okay, so. awesome. Yeah. That's really that's yeah. really awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I love the fact that there's there seems to be such like a a huge push in Toronto music right now. Like especially with like you know the weekend playing at the Super Bowl. Like yeah, really awesome. Yeah, no,
3: I uh, I love Toronto yeah. getting attention.
1: Yeah, for sure. And music there's music always music. been such a good um, music scene in Toronto. Like it, it's It's really funny, Uh, I was talking with uh, Ron about how um, he used to tour across Canada but he, they were such an indie band back in the day and they still really are Um, like he just put out he just put out that new Do Good Assassins album and completely independent but he was talking about how back in the day in the 90s, like bands like The Weaker Thans and The Lowest of the Low uh, would just they would just go and tour across Canada but they'd be offered these big shows with like Bare Naked Ladies, and Brian Adams. And they just wouldn't do it because that's not who they were. They didn't mm. want that. Like they still, they, they were still getting huge airplay, but they weren't touring with these big bands because, you know, like, it's really interesting though because when I talked to Frank Turner, he's like, I would absolutely would have done that because, you know, I want to play to as many people as possible.
3: I would have too. I wouldn't have been like, no, I don't want to do that. I uh, my mom has talked to me about that a lot because she she's her co-manager and she's like, if you like got to open for like some really big band on tour, but it wasn't like necessarily your like genre or whatever, would you do it? And I was like, of course I'd do it. Like that sounds so fun, but I totally get why people mm-hmm. um, wouldn't too. You know, it
1: Both it, sides. it kind of it kind of speaks. I understand both sides um but it speaks to like the value of a musician like i remember back in the day going to see like concerts when it would be like a metal band and a ska band and a punk band and then like this weird like experimental band and you're like i don't really know who these bands are but i'll pay five bucks and i'll go see these
3: yeah no that's see that kind of show is me and pascal's shit um <laughs> we just don't this is gonna sound pretentious. I just don't believe in genres. I think they're stupid. Like when people try to get us to describe our music in a genre, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Don't ask me. <laughs> like I listen to everything from like yeah, from like punk or like drone metal to like classical music. Like, I don't know. Um see I love shows like that. I think they're sick.
1: Um so I I kind of I I, sh- I showed your EP to my my oldest brother and it was I kind of explained it as like 90s pop but not like you know pop pop but like something like the cranberries
3: yeah yeah we get that comparison a lot which i mean i'm not going to complain so that's
1: absolutely a great comparison <laughs> yeah very underrated 90s band which yes has gotten a lot of love in the last few years so which is really yeah. great
3: me and pascal are also both very irish okay. um we both have, she it's funny i'm a redhead and my name is Bridget um which is an irish name so everyone mm. thinks i'm more irish she's half irish like she's like super irish um i'm less but yeah we we like um yeah we like the cranberries.
1: <laughs> that's really i got to see them once uh,
3: oh cool
1: yeah and uh it was probably like barry the hatchet era so like mm-hmm. i think they they were like just about to go on like a hiatus and then they got back together a few years ago and then obviously Dolores passed away but
4: yeah
1: yeah very sad
4: yeah
1: so now that we've gone on a huge tangent <laughs> on other music and stuff like that
3: yeah <laughs> I'm awful um, the subject
1: <laughs> uh, I'm the same uh so I guess as somebody of you who you know is a fan of music and made music a large portion of your life how would you describe this role as played in your life
3: like the weaker vans has played yeah. or just music yeah the weaker vans oh I don't know it's just like so yeah very much it just reminds me of like my childhood and like I have weird connections of the weaker thans to like the 90s and early 2000s in the context of Canadian music scene which I know I was either not alive or a very small child for but I still have a kind of I don't know super strong nostalgia like intergenerational nostalgia or something to their music. And yeah, I mean, John K. Sampson, he, I think is one of the best like lyricists in Canada and has totally inspired me um, along with Gord Downie. I love his yeah. poetry. Um, yeah, he's just one of those bands, man. Like a staple, like since childhood that I still listen to. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to like put it more articulately. Oh, no, that's that, great. But-
1: um so i guess this is a loaded question but john k samson or gord downey
3: i can't answer okay well actually okay <laughs> no i i don't wanna i was never a huge fan of the hip i'm yeah. just gonna say that where i am a really big fan of the week of Dance and mm-hmm. john K. samson but i love gord downey's solo stuff and his poetry Um, but it's another one of those bands where my parents love, love, love them. And there's like that super nostalgic. So yeah, I can't, I can't really answer, but like, (laughs) yeah, I have, I have Gord Downey's, um, I think I just bought his, my mom just bought me, um, his new, the new record from him, Mm um, on vinyl. And like, I have one of his poetry books up on my shelf. And so, I mean, yeah, I love them both.
1: Um, Have, did you know that John K. Sanderson has a like a lyrics and poems book?
3: I didn't. I should yeah. uh, look into getting that though. Um,
1: it's a it's yeah. a it's a neat little book. It's it's really just like his lyrics written out, but yeah, it, it, re, it reads like poetry. So,
3: mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, and I I really value stuff like that. Um, my my dad is a poet. Um, awesome. Or was I guess he doesn't do poetry as much anymore, but he was a poet, and um, my grandfather. Is an author, so like awesome. lyrics are like, like the music part's super important to me, but lyrics are like really like
1: the yeah.
3: most important part to me. So I love, I love, yeah, I I love, I I think he's one of the best Canadian lyricists.
1: I think that's really important, especially for somebody that obviously writes lyrics. Like it's a good inspiration to draw from.
3: Yeah.
1: Even even Gore Downey, um, I I was never a huge hip fan personally. Uh, I have a loyal respect for Gore Downey. Me too. Um, and like, there, there's the song he does with uh, Dallas Green, which is an amazing song, um, "Sleeping Sickness," I believe it's called. Yeah, the on the same <laughs> color. I can't remember which album that is, um, but it's really beautiful. Um, and he, he makes a really great cameo in the movie One Week with Joshua Jackson.
3: Oh, I didn't. Uh, know that.
1: Joel Plaskett as well is in there. Uh,
3: another 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 band I grew up listening to, man. Joel- yeah. My childhood,
1: Joe <laughs> Plaskett's great. Joel Plaskett, emergency, all of that. I love that stuff. Very mm-hmm. talented person. Another person I'd love to get on the show. Crossing my fingers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is great.
1: Um, so if you could introduce the, the weaker than is John K. Sampson to somebody, uh, where would you like? Like, where would you start?
3: Oh, that's a tricky question. I don't know. I mean, I think I would just start with Left and Leaving because that is the yeah. album I know best by them. Um, I've grown up listening to it, but I don't know what song, see, this is the thing. I don't actually know the names of any of the songs. I'm just like, you know, the one that goes like, Banana. um, <laughs> I don't know what song I would start with. I mean, I, I might start with everything must go. I mean, I think it's definitely like, it's just a song that sticks in my head. Um, and I feel like it's kind of genreless or genre bendy. Cause it's, yeah. yeah, as you said, it's like not kind of like punky, like some of their other songs, but I wouldn't call it like a folk song, but then the drum has like jazz vibes almost. I don't know, I think there's just some really great stuff going on in that song. So I'd probably start there and then, yeah, I don't know.
1: (laughs) I think Left and Leaving as an album was a really great place to start, especially the song Pamphleteer. Yeah. Um, Like when I talked about that with my co-host, when when you actually break down the song, it, it talks about how there's, you know, a man, Pamphleteer um, mm. sitting in a corner. But the actual intro to the song is making sorry, I'm making hand motion. Nobody could see this anyways. It. But it's like um, rain. Which is really cool. Because it, it, it sets that mood. Like I, I wouldn't say that you know somebody would get that right off the bat, but it's like it's there's so much to take out of that entire album. And, oh I yeah, mean, no,
3: it's it's a work of art. I um I'm not really someone who listens to albums that much which i know is like probably like a sacrilegious thing to say because like musician musicians who are like into music are like you got all listen to albums i don't really i just kind of listen to random songs
1: I, but I feel that's a generational thing
3: if it, yeah it, it probably is but um left and leaving that's one of that's a one of the few albums that i will sit and listen for mm. like that carol king Pink Floyd, some like Childish Gambino. Like, there's not a lot of records that I will listen to the full way through, but that's definitely one of them, so.
1: That really went all over the place.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, no. when I said I don't care about genre, I really don't, I, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it, it definitely did go all over the place. Um, and I mean, a lot of those bands, it's the same thing. I have very nostalgic connections to them through family. I think family is something that's really important to me. I'm really close with most of my family members. And something that we've all bonded through is music. Like, my grandfather, he's not a Weakerman's fan that I know of, but um, he's been taking me to live shows since I was a kid. He took – he got me into Metric. He's taken me to see a Metric. He's taken me to see Broken Social Scene, Arcade Fire. He took me awesome. to a Joni Mitchell tribute where she ended up coming out and reading a poem. Like, music <laughs> is, like, how my family bonds. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff. It's, like, nostalgia is, like, a really important thing for me.
1: Yeah, which – is also a very big theme in John's music, it's very nostalgic.
3: It has that vibe. I was thinking, I don't even know why or how to describe this, but for some reason Left and Leaving that album makes me think of the Scott Pilgrim comic series, not the movie. Um I love the movie, but the comic series, I don't yeah. know why, but just I don't know. It has something to do with like the kind of Toronto that my parents were like young adults in or something that they told me about.
1: Yeah. The old sneaky D's and going to shows at Yeah his Palace or El Macambo or
3: yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So there's I don't know, it's just like that very much that vibe. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know why. Um but I was like thinking about that as we were talking. I was like, for some reason, man, their music makes me think of Scott Pilgrim, even though I their music is not anything like the music in yeah. that movie or those comics. But
1: Well that, that's really cool because I know a lot of people when they, they ask about the weaker then they're like you know will this translate to somebody that doesn't live in Winnipeg and it there's that connection right there
3: yeah, yeah no it totally totally does um, yeah no because my my stepdad um his parents are from Winnipeg and there's <laughs> he has a lot of family there so he kind of has that connection with like the like the kind of like oh I hate Winnipeg I love Winnipeg but also hate yeah. Winnipeg things specifically with Winnipeg but then both my all my parents have that connection with Toronto so it, it's to- yeah it totally translates.
1: It's really awesome um yeah yeah so i think uh, i'm just going to wrap this up uh i really appreciate you uh coming on it's really <laughs> yeah it's been a really great talk uh i i love hearing you know your music and uh i'm really into it so you know you. making great music <laughs> and uh hopefully once covid you know becomes less of a thing yeah I'll be able yeah, to actually see, be- you, see you live.
3: Yeah, that would be great. And yeah, we would love to do recording stuff for the podcast and, and whatnot. Yeah,
1: yeah. When, whenever you do, you know, you two decide to do something, shoot me an email. I'm, I'm always, yeah. Cool.
3: Awesome. Great. Right. Okay, thank you for having me.
1: Thanks so much. This has been Sounds Familiar. And this has been...
3: Richard Fry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, this is, yeah, signing off. I, show it
3: off. I should walk myself down the block. Got a pocket knife.
1: Yes. And a table. New green off. sofa. Lovely line.
0: <laughs> Lovely. Uh <laughs> Every, every aspect of the song takes me back to my shitty apartments when I was in my early teens Mm -hmm. Uh, or the ones that you were unofficially living at because you're technically not on the, uh, the lease. So you're just like sleeping on the puke green sofa. Oh, yes. Uh, And, oh, I absolutely stole cutlery. I mean, come on. I was in my twenties. I couldn't afford forks. I'm pretty sure like working in a restaurant, there, there is such a large um,
1: amounts of not even just cutlery, but things that just go missing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it just like, Oh, that, that didn't get thrown out. That just never made it back from the table. So that's just gone.
0: Yeah. Working in management in uh, like bars and restaurants throughout my youth, I, I learned that there are certain things that, while you may not consider them disposable, they are definitely usable Mm -hmm. because they go missing. Uh, I remember one place I worked at, we had decided to get uglier cups (laughs) because the ones that we would get them from like various uh, like beer distributors, they would give us a bunch of like Miller Lite cups and then people would Mm -hmm. steal them because it has like a logo on it. Yeah. So we got these like weird, funky, like, I don't know. They were like probably the the glass version of the the infamous uh pizza hut cup like the red you know plastic pizza hut cup Yep. and they didn't they didn't go missing for about a year and then a year later they became uh, in a weird way trendy and then mm. people started stealing them for the reason that they were unique uh which was a, a whole new can of worms uh because again what, what do you switch to then uh they're gonna they're just gonna are gonna steal it anyway Just write that into your budget whatever yeah no and that's the thing yeah you absolutely just you write it into the budget and you hope that you come out ahead sorry i'm practicing my canadian tradition i i i I saw that but it it, was that a canadian beer
1: um well it is brewed in canada Um, okay but it is from sweden i believe okay it is
0: cider oh nice okay yes Yeah, just it's
1: it's the weekend somewhere.
0: It is. Uh, I actually (laughs) went to our co-op earlier and picked Mm -hmm. up a beer that I haven't seen since I worked in a bar two years ago. Very, very excited to uh, tap into it. It looks very good. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) talking and stuff. I don't know why I'm so I'm so quiet today. Uh, No, that's okay. Talking too much.
1: (laughs) No, I I've had like a very like strange week um so my my brain is a little smushed and smashed um just being busy and just you know dealing with general anxiety so
0: yeah yeah it starts to <laughs> it starts to wear on you a little bit it it starts to like kind of pile up like a pile of rocks on top of you because again when mm-hmm. you have like kids work life i mean even when you don't have work it's so interesting that when we all went on lockdown early on in COVID about how much of my life didn't like the stress didn't go away. Yeah. I I was able to start getting paid more than I made at my regular job at that time. Mind you, I was a general manager. So that was pretty fucking sad to, to see that my, uh, my unemployment was higher than what I made running a restaurant. Uh, But at the same time, Every every day was like a a struggle because again it doesn't make depression and anxiety go away. Yeah, like absolutely. it's still there. And now you just have your kids in your house all the time, and they're running around and asking three million questions about Minecraft. So it's uh, and I don't even play Minecraft. I'm a Minecraft expert, and I've never set a block or chopped a tree or done anything. So. <laughs> For my kids, it's Fortnite, and I'm like, I have it, but I've never played it. So I think I dropped out of the bus once and I got killed upon impact. (laughs) Somehow, someone just shot me. And I was like, Yep, nope, I'm done. Nope. This is this is Battlefield all over again. Because all those like desert shooter games, like I died immediately. Mm -hmm. Colorblindness is a pain. Mm, Uh, Yes. I could see that being a problem when I'm trying to play a game like that. Yeah. I mean, with Halo, at least we had, you know, bright, bright, you know, different colors, glowing things, uh, a sweet sword that you could chop someone's head off with. Like it was different, <laughs> it was a different time. Yes.
1: So on the topic of everything must go. <laughs>
0: yes. All right. Let's yes. talk about
1: the song. Yeah. Let's talk about the song. So it's, as, as we talked about before, it's it's kind of an interesting way to start the album. Um, I mean, I, get, I guess you could say that the first two albums kind of start that way, because I believe um, Fallow starts with Illustrated Bible Stories, right? Indeed. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't remember the track listing as much with Fallow, um, but I'm sure it is... Also, probably. Is it none of the above, or is that track three?
0: Oh gosh! Oh, I'm so <laughs> bad at. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that we ask these questions, and and then you start <laughs> to realize that you don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of the band that you once thought you had. Uh, diagnosis but, is the second diagnosis. song, which yeah. is you know it's a faster song.
1: Yeah. <singing>
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, the thing about the album, like especially with left and leaving. I feel like it picks up very fast. Like, yeah, I mean the first song is pretty slow, but as you Mm -hmm. go on, because I know that uh, eventually we get. uh, I'm I'm actually looking at the album list now because this is how bad I am at this. All right, so we get, uh, yeah, so we get a side, then we get watermark. Uh, Watermark being quite possibly one of my favorite songs on that album, but yeah, it's it picks up very fast, and then Fallow. Okay, so I have I I just I I can I online gripe right now. Sure. So when I click on Fallow in the Weaker Than's catalog, uh, in in their in their Wikipedia, it goes to a completely different Fallow album. Really, like this is whoever Fanny Lums- Lumsden is. I'm not happy about it. I don't understand how this is a more important fallow album. Uh, but yeah, it's uh yeah, so we got diagnosis and then confessions mm. uh, none of the above. Yeah. I mean that that whole album is just it's so much more upbeat I would say. Uh, again because they're they're coming off of that the propagandie sound.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but yeah, this this new this this other one I feel like as we pass through the first song, it kind of sets up almost a new way of how songs will be formatted from this album forward Mm -hmm. Uh, because stories seem to be more important slowly in this one It still it still holds on to a lot of the the very personal stories that i feel that john is telling in, in fallow to an extent but left and leaving plays this like very interesting part where it's 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 fallow and then it's left and leaving to where again we're holding on to a little more of the personal stories but again there's more storytelling i feel Mm -hmm. uh and then we're moving into reconstruction site which is completely storytelling yeah Uh, so going through something like everything must go uh i mean i'm gonna eventually do this anyway so starting with the first line uh it sets it up in a story like way, saying "garage sale Saturday." I need to pay my heart's outstanding bills, and I—I I don't know if everybody has been to a garage sale who listens to this. Um, I kind of hope you have. Mm-hmm. And also, just feeling this feeling of you know, I guess needing to pay rent and having a garage sale. I know growing up, my parents weren't wealthy. Uh, so we had definitely had garage sales to make sure that we made rent.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And when it comes to sometimes the thing that influences you uh, might not actually be that like for this, it seemed more like I have a lot of my ex's stuff and I need to get rid of it. Those are my like outstanding bills is like, in a sense, getting rid of these parts of my life that uh, weren't so great Mm-hmm. uh to me and if you're holding on to something like that after a rough breakup i feel that it's 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 a way to to quickly get rid of it uh, for sure basically. yeah but anyway yeah basically what i'm saying is is that it starts off kind of telling a story that i i feel could be related to songs like uh like from the, from the fallow album, you know, again, you're living in an apartment. You've got a puke green sofa. Uh, I don't think I know anyone who bought their own compass. I don't know anybody who's bought their own pocket watch uh, because those were all handed down by our boomer parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still very thankful for my pocket watch, uh, but everybody has the 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 dad. Maybe not everybody has a dad. That's, that's not true. But I feel some people have that parent Uh, in their life that when you go over to their house they just start handing you things Mm -hmm. Uh, they're like oh you're you're gonna need this for your car you know grab this scraper I mean I I feel I don't think I've ever paid for a a windows a a window I don't know what you call them there do you call them something different you were like brushing your mustache and I was I was a little lost in in that for some reason um, yeah the window scraper yeah ice scraper yeah I don't think I've ever paid for one because every time I go home, my dad's like, Hey, you need this. <laughs> yeah. uh, but and so that's where like moving into the song with the, the crack compass and the pocket watch, I, I feel that those are things that are passed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are things that again, even, even in the, the first line saying my heart's outstanding bills. Well, I think that I'm always for whatever reason, to say oh this this is a bad relationship this is a bad breakup but maybe it's you know a a soiled relationship with a parent because when it comes to a compass or a pocket watch I feel that's a gift that comes from you know someone in your life I don't Mm -hmm. know what do you think I I think that like those are all very interesting points
1: um and I've definitely come to that conclusion um you could also look at it as a you know like a cracked up compass and pocket watch Suggests like directionless wandering state a waste of time. Oh and, like the compass yeah. is broken and he's giving up his old timepiece. You know, it's out outdated. It's you know, it's not even a watch or a clock, really. So it's like it's kind of underscoring is like it's a uselessness at this point. Because how many people like I would say it's a metaphor for something that's it's that we long for, um, but it's not something that's necessarily useful anymore
0: yeah yeah no i uh, as soon as you said direction a uh, directionless i i yeah uh just that feeling uh of just yeah not not knowing where you're because again i mean those are things that i mean if it's cracked up or it's broken you know like mm-hmm. it's it's leaving leaving when you're 18 you know or, or whenever you leave the house uh you, you, you are directionless I mean I don't care if you have a plan uh, mm. and you're going to college or you're you know you started a job there's still parts of your life that are still uh, just having a lack of you know direction you know uh, early youth it, it's just mostly that it's kind of figuring it out uh, yeah. yeah I, I
1: kind of saw a meme of, like the other day and it was it was very poignant to this because you know it said like oh you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be an adult. And then it was like 25. It's like, you're still a child. It's like, Oh, 32, still a child. It's like, (laughs) you know, you're in your twenties. You're like, you're still, you're still learning. Like you're not, you're you're constantly learning. And even in like through my thirties, I'm still trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's definitely pointed when you're, in your thirties and you learn something new that your parents seem to have always have known, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, someone in your life has always like to change a tire for the first time when you're in your thirties. Un- unfortunately, I didn't have that. I-, I had a lot of like really crappy cars growing up. So, mm-hmm. uh, I've had to change a lot of tires, but to, to learn something in your thirties, uh, I think it's especially relatable when you, when you're scrolling through the internet or something, you find like, something that was supposed to be used in a certain way and you find that and you're like, holy, I'm, I'm today years old and I just <laughs> found this out. Yeah. Uh, or when you see people struggle with the knowledge of not even like even outside of cars, just outside of, uh, you know, properly cleaning their dishes or doing laundry or repairing their own, you know, devices or things like that. I, I know my roommate just said the back door won't open the door or the, the lock's broken. And, and you think to yourself, you're like, yeah, so fix it (laughs) (laughs) to to like completely write them off like that. But it's at at the same time, it's like, oh wait, that's right. Not everybody knows everything because, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have that guided path of these are the things you need to know because I I don't know, maybe just speaking as a millennial, everything kind of changed when we were in high school. You know, all of a sudden we had cell phones and internet and, uh, we have Google to where we can Google everything that that we need to know, uh, and then we, in a lot of cases, had absentee parents who yeah. didn't teach us how to make spaghetti or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, or uh, again, I could uh, this 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 song just brings up so many roommate stories. Uh, I had a roommate who tried to microwave uh, spaghettios in a can once.
2: Oh. Um,
0: so they, had, this was our very first apartment. They moved out and we had to throw that microwave away because they oh, yeah. they walked away. They were alone in the house. They started it and they walked away because they were going to go do their makeup. And it nearly burned down the house. Mm-hmm. And it was only because this was the very first time that they were cooking for themselves. And it's interesting uh, because again, I mean, it's like a gap of knowledge. They, they had an extensive encyclopedic knowledge of how to repair a bicycle but Hmm. they didn't know how to how to feed themselves which was you know again I I feel that we we all kind of experience that in life where we there's just things we don't know yet uh that again that that directionlessness (laughs) so I, I I think
1: this song as a whole like kind of backtrack a little bit is it's really about like you know just sentimental value um Like it is definitely about, you know, you're talking about um, having to pay rent for the first time or, you know, like not even just that, just like having to let go of things that have that, um, that sentimental value that, you know, seems meaningless to anyone else. But to you holds that. And it's like, I've definitely been there, you know, you know, like I've, it's been a, you know, a hard stretch where, I never thought I would have to sell my vinyl collection or, you know, something that was passed down to me. And it's like, well, you know, I either make rent or I hold on to this record collection or like this, you know, this watch that my grandfather passed on or something something like that. But it holds no real value to anyone but you. Like records are one thing, but you know you, you know what I mean.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it actually kind of, it, it brings me to the thought of I followed the whole minimalist movement there for a little bit mm-hmm. until I realized that I just, it, it, as crazy as it sounds, I don't think I have enough money in my life to, to get rid of all my stuff. Uh, but they always talked about how they would take photos of sentimental objects before they would get rid of them. Mm. And I feel like this song is in a sense, kind of that snapshot of things that, you know, have been gotten rid of uh, in people's lives and, uh, And again, I mean, there's in a weird way that to romanticize things that you've stolen from 24-hour diners kind of goes into what we talked about the last episode, which was, you know, just the the romantic thought of just a a building existing of of its -hmm. its purpose. Uh, Because again, when you look back on it, you can say that was an interesting aspect of my life. It was something that I remember. And I think that when it comes to that sort of stuff, it's it's uh I don't uh, yeah, endearing. I don't know. Uh I, I just know that when I listen to this song, it, it just it brings me back to those 24 hour diners where yeah. you would study all night or you would play I think we played Scrabble mostly. Or I had a friend who played chess with his cousin, and they would sit there at three o'clock in the morning, unlimited refills of coffee. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows what a Perkins is, but that's, that's what our 24 hour diner was. Yep. Uh, but you know, that was, that was our 24 hour diner in our, in our small town and and people would sit there and they would just hang out. Mm-hmm. And it, it brings me back to the, you know, the crappy apartment where for some reason, one wall is leaking Brown and your sink, your, your, uh, the, the hot water never works or, you know, something to that effect. It's, it's those little, those little those little details that made early life uh interesting Mm -hmm. uh yeah just romanticizing not being able to pay your rent
1: yeah i know like like he he talks about all night restaurants a lot obviously like you know there's the north all night restaurant in north kildonan um from none of the above um which is interesting because he actually says that like, he's not even sure that there is an online restaurant in North Caldone and he just kind of made it up. (laughs) Um, I read that in that, I think it was in that Larry Livermore uh, interview, but um, when like, he's talking about like the and coffee cups that he stole from all night restaurants, you know, it, it is suggesting like a state of like youthful poverty, you know Um, but it also kind of sticks to the point that um, you know, it's impermanence, you know, if you're not buying these things that it doesn't really, you're not using them to make a home.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. Uh, that, so, so much more, uh, yeah, that I didn't even think about that. Yeah. The, the, the bringing back up the, the concept of impermanence. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because again, I mean, a lot of this stuff is just going to end up in a landfill anyway, uh, yeah. you, you know, at the end of the day. And I, th- I felt that way too, about the mention of plastic daffodils. It's yeah. if you, if you think about I don't know. Do you, do you, uh, do you have Hobby Lobby up there? We're mm-hmm. going to learn so much about each other's countries. We have, we have a store called Hobby Lobby. Okay. And recently I was having a conversation with a friend about how pointless Hobby Lobby is. And, and it's, it's a, it's a craft store. okay. Uh, and it's owned by a, a, a Christian family and they donate all their money to uh, doing some pretty terrible things around the United States and around the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they were even, I believe, caught buying artifacts uh, that were stolen for their Bible museum. Uh, so, the, the very unethical practices in a lot of cases. Uh, I believe it was brought up on a show, another podcast called Behind the Bastards. Okay. Uh, when they talk about the Hobby Lobby, it's it's a very interesting episode. But we were talking about how. These, these places have things like plastic daffodils. They have these things that make your life beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, they're so cheap. It's, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the cheapest way to brighten up a room. And when you're thinking about when you're 18 to 20 years old, it's, it's a way to make your apartment feel more like home. Uh, mm-hmm. I know for us, it was mostly just stolen signs. And other things that we had paste on our walls, yep uh, or punk flyers, things like that. But in a way, it's it's a way. I, I think the imagery here is 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 a way to to kind of state that just because we're directionless, it doesn't mean that we're not trying to make our lives a little more beautiful uh, or see the beauty in things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think they could. You know, they could also
1: represent like how we fall in love with things you know, that are like, things that are like, they represent beauty, but they can be regret later on in life. You
3: know, oh,
1: like yeah. women, art,
0: or decorative
1: classic daffodils. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, and, I, and I think that's exactly, I mean, it's it's uh, or maybe again i mean it's it's this idea that we're always moving up and forward and, mm-hmm. I, I, and i don't think that's true for everybody but i think that as you gain wealth in the world and you know you you buy your first you know nicer car you get you get the slightly bigger apartment because you finally got a job that pays a little better uh you you get to drop one roommate finally because you don't need roommates anymore uh and you, you think about things like plastic daffodils, you know, at that point in your life, when you're 20, those are the most beautiful thing, or mm-hmm. the, the dumpstered r- roses, or whatever, whatever you can find in life, that's, you know, beautiful. And you kind of think back to it now, like, now that I'm, you know, in my 30s, thinking back to a time where I found, you know, those things beautiful, but now like moving on, like you find things. Or you have like a, a greater view of what could be beautiful. You don't need flowers in your life. You know, you maybe just you, you might you might just need people. Yeah. Uh but yeah, yeah, I, I can I definitely hear that regret, yes. Uh yeah. So uh moving moving on uh with uh the, the next set of lyrics, I, I don't know to me this song is so dense, I totally want to go by it lyric by lyric. Uh, the sense of wonder only slightly used uh, how, how how does that hit you that hits me in such a weird way uh, because again when you're talking about youth you have this this sense of wonder mm-hmm. uh, and and it's so new to you yeah I mean, now you know again when you're in your 30s that sense of wonder is kind of gone you, you kind of understand how the government works you know how Uh, the streetlights work, there might be like, you might not understand why the sky is blue or whatever, but there's this like sense of wonder of like, you don't have any restrictions anymore. You're, you're alone. Uh, but in a way, uh, everything around you is new.
1: Yeah. I, I feel as though it's, it's almost like, you know, somebody having to grow up fast, you know, they, they, they weren't able to be in their youth long enough.
0: Yeah 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 uh gosh can you imagine a time where when you were 18 you actually got to frolic frolic is such a weird word but yeah uh having to go straight to that those those two part-time you know fast food restaurant jobs uh yeah yeah that 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 does make sense uh but anyway uh yeah uh i I think those next two lines actually kind of work into what you were just saying yeah. I was actually, I, I then moved on to that. I'm like, okay, let's read this next one. And I'm like, Oh, all right, cool. We're <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, again, you, you, I feel the word naive comes in a lot in my head in this, in this, in this song uh, about the, just the, the naivety of the lyrics, uh, but not, I mean, again, this is not necessarily that he's naive in writing these lyrics, but just the mm-hmm. representation of naivety as like a youthful person. Again, yeah. Uh, I know that I've had to walk younger folks through uh, you know, roommates that I've had through various systems and stuff like that, where they thought they were just going to work. I remember trying to explain the US healthcare system for poor people to uh, one of my friends who just got off their parents' insurance. They're 26. So in America, after 26, you now need to provide your own insurance or your job Mm -hmm. needs to or something to that effect. Uh, And this is also at the same time COVID hit and they're a person who needs, you know, things like therapy and um, hormone injections and things like that. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go through this. This is how it works. You sign up for what we call in Wisconsin specifically badger care, and you hope they accept you. And if not, you pay $300 a month so that you can spend $10 less on the drugs that you need. And they, it, it kind of floored them because it was something they didn't truly understand yet but it was such a way of just like slapping in them in the face with adulthood in America uh, because now uh, it's just something that it, it's, it's instantly, you know, hard to deal with. And it's something that you didn't need. You, you, you didn't know you needed. It wasn't something that, uh, that you were, again, you were naive to think that the government was going to try and help you. Cause again, we went into like talking about dental plans and stuff like that as well. And about how they 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 eventually got their health care, they got their card, stuff like that. And then they were trying to set up a, a dental plan, or not a dental plan, but a dentist appointment. I'm like, well, here are the things you say on the phone because you don't make enough money to be prioritized at a dental clinic. And telling them that, and then, they, then watching them call 15, 16, 17 dental clinics saying the same thing and getting denied. And watching them like nearly like break down into tears because they didn't understand that it was going to be so hard to get a dentist appointment for free, like on the healthcare. And, Mm -hmm. and again, that's where this, this hits me too, is, is, yeah, it's, it's that idea that you are naive to think that the world is, you know, going to just boost you up when early it kind of, it can in times. I'm not saying it it always does this, but it can kind of tear you down Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, he
1: in this song, especially he he leaves the gaps for people to kind of find a way
0: to how it how the song means to them.
1: It's not so specific.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, and again, I mean, it, it just reaches it. I feel this is every everything that someone from a background who didn't come from extreme wealth or even mm-hmm. just a small amount of wealth understands. And I think that when he writes his music coming from a background of like working class people uh, as well as when you, when you, when you watch some of the things he's done, like I know that he was helping a, uh, a food shelf at one point and things to that effect. So he has a, a, a nuanced view of the world. He has one that comes from a place where he understands things like recovery. He understands things like, a 40 hour work week mm-hmm. and he knows that, that that the in-depth nature of those things and how they they uh affect a person's life uh and and then yeah i just yeah I, I really like i really like the um the line
1: after the a year or two to haunt you in the dark which is an amazing line and can be could really kind of show like um you know depths of different things like a depression or, you know, maybe being kicked out of your house. Um, but, you know, having to work for a living and, it, you know, how it goes into weighs a thousand kilograms. So bend your knees. It's like, that is so perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that the, the part you kind of left off there at the end too, because again, working in service for years, Mm-hmm. Uh, with a free fake smile uh and it is it 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 conjures the the idea of the the things you sign when you start a new job and it's like you have to be able to weigh or you need to be able to lift this many pounds you need to uh be friendly to the customers like these th- these are your job titles and things of that effect uh, but it, it's yeah yeah, I, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's, it's that whole thing explains every work experience that I've had to this point. And it's it is interesting how he,
1: he just kind of throws it in there amongst all the different things,
0: how they're, they're, they're equally weighted out.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's when you're, when you're young, again, I know that from what I understand, too, I the the concert that I went to when I when I saw John, he actually uh, did a whole a whole cheers to his his depression medication, uh, like thank thank goodness for <laughs> for medication to help my depression. Mm. And when you when you're talking about like the phone call and being asked how are you today, and you think about again you're moving far away from your parents or like from your old friends or things like that, and it's always nice for people to check in on you. Uh, and then you, yeah, you, this, this 40 hour work week and it all kind of weighs the same because these are stresses in your life that are equal. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're dealing with depression. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with a, a job that's demanding far too much of you. Uh, it's, it's, it's all kind of the same. It, 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 it all just, it's like this big slurry of just mm-hmm. problems in your life, uh, and just life that you have to get through. And it's, it's just, it's, it's so perfect. Like you said that it you, it's given equal weight. Uh, and again, after the, the free fake smile, he, he, he says for all your dumb demands. And I just think about again, <laughs> back at back in service, working in coffee yeah. for so long and having these little things like, Hey, can I get an extra pump of this or, or that? And sometimes it, it just feels like this is all just pointless. What, what am I? Why am I spending forty hours of my week serving uh, upper middle class white people coffee? Like, I understand I'm passionate about coffee, but what what does this mean at the end of the day? Like, how 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 will I judge this when I'm forty when I'm not in coffee anymore? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm I'm probably gonna still be a barista in, well into my fifties. But uh, at some point in my life, (laughs) Uh, but it's, and I just think about, yeah, for all your dumb demands, it's, I mean, I don't know if he's referring to himself or anything to that effect, but for me, it's, it's, it just goes straight into my brain that he's talking about working in service Uh, like the fake smile, you know, having to use your body to do, to perform all these tasks. And uh, again, just the, oh the dumb demands it's it's the that that customer service uh your customer service like relationship with the people around you it's just far different from like the real world
1: mm-hmm. and, and and then he like he bookends that with the kind of skip a few lines that the and a laugh too loud and long and too long it's like because you're just fake you're faking it to make it essentially
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's actually, that, that is, that is, I, I think that's like the uh, the underlying theme of the song is fake it until you make it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh. yeah, it's, it's, it. yeah.
1: I mean, but like right before that, it's, you know, the outline to a complicated dream of dignity. It's just, you know, you do all these things to survive and all you want to do is, you know, you want to not be that, person that works 40 hours at a job that you hate you know have a little dignity in your life but it's so hard to attain
0: yeah and I think that we again we've also seen our parents grow up in this system too I mean at least I have my parents were pretty young I think my mom had me when she was 15 or 16 so that was a pretty complicated life for Mm -hmm. her uh, considering that she had a child so young and you know we saw like early on my 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 stepfather i didn't have much of like a real relationship with my real father but my stepfather came into the picture he was 22 and i I always think about that because i i had i had that i had the sense to have kids later actually i didn't i i had my kids just as young uh but you you think about like all the jobs that your parents had and that Mm -hmm. and the fact that they're working these 40 hour jobs that they hate like he was working at a gas station and he would come home 11 o'clock at night tired as hell because the gas station just closed and he would be irritated to a point uh, because he just he didn't this isn't what he he had planned uh, he was in a rock band he he rode a motorcycle he was he was like the cool guy uh, he just left college uh, for psychology and he just didn't understand why he had to work 40 hours. And I believe he made something like $4 an hour at that time too. So just again, having these dreams of, of what life could be like. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of touched on too, in the, the outline to a complicated dream of dignity. And again, you're just like trying to carve out this life to where you can just feel like you matter. Uh, And it's, it's again, as stated complicated dream because at the end of the day, if you can buy a puke green sofa from Goodwill, you feel a little more accomplished than you did yesterday when you couldn't.
1: Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the song from there just kind of becomes, you know. It seems like somebody's reaching out.
0: You know. Yeah. And I think that I think that they do that really well. Uh, because again when we talk about virtute and we talk about mm-hmm. a lot of these because one of the biggest lines in this is the recovery comes to the broken ones mm-hmm. um, this this idea of of you know while we're talking about naivety we're talking about how a 40 hour work week crushes us how we have to fake smiles how we have to do all of these things just to be happy uh, he comes at this with this sort of positivity this sort of uh the sort of attitude that at the end of the day you know you can smile you, you can you can you know like like you said someone reaching out saying like you're gonna get through this uh or I get I'm gonna quote another song obviously uh because that's gonna happen a lot. Uh <laughs> I know you're strong that sort of attitude of you know it is it's it's someone reaching out being like don't worry you're 20 when you're 30, it's going to be just as complicated, probably just as hard, but you're going to understand how to get happy. Uh, and it's it's, I don't know, it, it's such a coming of age song. Like you were when you were talking uh, about talking. Uh, why am I blanking? I was Bridget. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Wow, my brain's not working. <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking Bridget. But also uh, in the uh, the file it says Brie, because I think you were just shortening it uh, mm. for the interview. So I was like, okay, it's Bridget. Okay, Bridget. All right, <laughs> back on topic. Anyway, when you're talking about things like uh, them not having this coming of age, and to me it's like, no, it's just delayed now. And rent might be more expensive. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know if 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 places are going to try and make up for the rent they lost during this time. Uh, Because you know that they kicked out quite a few people uh, and Mm -hmm. then probably couldn't get a new person in there. Uh, But uh, I'm talking about landlords. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yes. But yeah, they're like this, this idea of like, I feel that for my generation, the life that I grew up in, and I don't know if my parents grew up in the same sort of like 40 hour week uh, you know having the broken things and stuff from your, your parents uh, but that's the life I lived that's that's the coming of age story I have and it'll be really interesting to to listen to a song from Bridget or from any artist from this generation that that faced COVID like this and, and mm-hmm. to listen about their coming of age in a time where you can't touch another human uh, I remember I just recently had posted something on Instagram like do you miss holding hands? Because mm-hmm, I at that. this point, like literally touching another human being feels wrong. Uh, watching a television show where people are in a crowd and you kind of for a moment forget that this was, you know, the show or whatever was made in 2016. You're like, you get like this like anxiousness in your heart. You're like, wait, they're not supposed to. Oh, okay. This is The Office. This was shot in 2003. <laughs> and yeah, it can be kind of alarming at times uh Mm -hmm. but it'll be really interesting to hear you know you know her uh her version of this you know the everything must go uh because again there there will be a coming of age story that will come from this and it'll be incredible
1: Mm -hmm. well it's interesting to just look around and see just you know give it a couple years and like so much is going to change but we're going to look back on this time of life but the people that are really going to reflect other people that you know, are growing in this, you know, like this is their like, I don't know, like this is their their outsiders moment. This is their Sandlot, you know, like this is their, this is their moment to, you know, go into adulthood and, you know, how they don't, yeah, it, it's, it's just so different. And I think that is reflected in so much in music, like you, you could hear it in a lot of like Especially a lot of like folk music and you know stuff like you know springsteen or something like that um even uh, like neil young um because i like neil young is a really big influence on john so
0: yes he should be uh <laughs> yeah. i was late to neil young but i now have an appreciation for neil young uh yeah. i as as anyone this close to the canadian border should uh Again, another thing I learned, you know, very recently is that he's Canadian. Uh, But yeah, again, I mean, it's, it's, and and I think that's, that's kind of where, you know, my thought on that ends is it's just, it's going to be interesting to, to hear the, the, the changes, because again, every generation, we, we, we face a different world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like right now, in America, minimum wage hasn't caught up to the cost of living. Mm-hmm. Or in that and that presents itself in different ways, you know, or the fact that we don't have health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't have jobs that provide good health care, like again, my parents had. Like both my parents have really good health care. And, you know, also my life is much different. And as we talk about introducing more women and more BIPOC people into these scenes. Uh, with different perspectives, uh, you're going to start hearing things like I am taking for granted that I had a a green couch, but there's people out there who might not be able to afford that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to hear a story where someone does have come from a little bit of money and they're treated like me in in a sense because of the color of their skin or something Mm -hmm. to that effect. So it's going to be very interesting that, again, not only do we have this novel coronavirus going on right now, and then, but on top of that, people of color, Black people, Indigenous people, queer folks are now getting their stories told more often because the the entrance to the internet is lower than it was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting to hear my own kids' stories about how their lives have been changed by this, uh, about how they've grown up through this, and how their thoughts are different from a more diverse Uh, understanding of the world than I had. Uh, I grew up in a 99% white small town Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And on my Instagram, I talk about this all the time. I talk about how I want to learn a lot and I want to, I have to make mistakes though. Uh, But I come from a generation in a town that was just white and didn't think about anything else. And while obviously aspects of it were you know white supremacy or or white privilege uh there's aspects of it it's just the lack of knowledge i have uh Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's uh it's interesting to again start learning these things uh when i was growing up that i know of i know that we had rodney king uh and the la riots uh and we had a couple pointed moments there but now you know there's so much more attention paid to uh Black lives being lost at, at the hands of police. Uh, mm-hmm. They're being murdered, you know, daily. And it's interesting to to see this world that we're growing up in. Uh, and, and then also to think about, you know, the 60s. What what did they experience during the 60s? Uh, because again, that, that was kind of a turbulent time to an extent. Uh, yeah. I understand that it's different than what I ever thought it was. Or even, you know, when we're talking about uh, uh, the Spanish flu, and in, in the early 1900s uh what does that history look like what does the music from that time look like because mm-hmm. again i mean all of this affects that uh our our stories will be told in a way uh just uh, about our our surroundings and it'll be again it's it, this is going to make great music uh I mean, we had donald trump coronavirus uh texas froze over like there's there's so much that's that's going to come from this uh and, and i and i really look forward to hearing the stories of the people who uh who are finally getting to that that was yep. a really long last thought <laughs> no that was great that was great i mean it's 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 gonna be great
1: to be here like hearing those stories because that's like that's all like the weekends are all like it's all stories right like it's but it's it's finding that connection and that relatability and that's exactly what's all coming out of this because a lot of a lot of us have collectively
0: you know grown together, but also felt lost together
1: through all of this.
0: Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I mean, that goes into the vagueness Mm -hmm. of the song where we're we're lost together. Yeah. You know, not one person is feeling these feelings. This is, and, and again, that, that, that brings it all together with the week of ends music is the reason why it's so relatable is because the moments that he chooses to select to talk about uh, in these songs and in his poetry it's relatable from many people. And, mm-hmm. and I think that, and I think the fact that it is as vague as it is, 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 is incredible in that sense. Cause again, I like it's, that it's building a community.
1: The, the more that we are talking about this, um, the more that we're, we're starting to realize that there is so much more relatability than I, I think we, both of us ever thought. <laughs> and yeah. and I, I think, I hope that, you know, other people can hear that as well, because I know, like 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 we said before, um, there is people out there that it it didn't quite understand if people would understand the weaker ends and like the fact that there's you know John writes about Winnipeg.
0: Yeah. Street names that I've never seen. I've never seen a, a, yeah. I've never seen Winnipeg in my life, but mm-hmm. as soon as I listen to these songs, every house has a heating vent. I, I'm gonna try and mention heating vents in every single Episode of this because he <laughs> mentions it in every song that I swear he tries. Uh, get Stattner. Get Stattner. Yeah, and it gets you know you know everybody has every house has heating vents, everybody's mm-hmm. seen plastic daffodils. You know, this is the kind of uh the kind of language, the kind of vocabulary that I think also that a lot of people can grasp, a lot of imagery that people can grasp because it's the life they've lived. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, everybody, like I was saying, maybe not everybody who's listening has been to a garage sale, but I know I have. And that immediately gives me, you know, the imagery of a bunch of folding tables and objects and, you know, a hanger of clothing that is never going to fit me. Uh, And it's, it's endearing. It's, it's, it's living in a city or a town and it doesn't matter what size they all contain things like this. They all have a thrift store nearby uh maybe not nearby but maybe in the town over or something yep. to that effect but it's or, or again these diners which i i personally think that this one might be the 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 thing that will not hold up in this album because i don't really know of many 24-hour diners anymore like i really? feel like they're closing down yeah i think here in milwaukee we have a handful maybe maybe like five uh I haven't done my research, but also coronavirus has changed everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to think about some of these things, like pocket watches, compasses are all now built into phones. Do I plan on <laughs> passing a pocket watch down to my son or to to Fallo? Uh, no, no, I, I don't have a pocket watch to give them. Yeah, uh, and it's it'll be interesting to to hear this song age through my years and then showing it to my kids as they get older, uh, because again even just telling someone to say like, pretend you're making a phone call is now a different motion for like mm. the new generation. Cause they've never seen an old style telephone.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, it's like,
0: you tell somebody to hang up a phone and it's not, you're not hanging it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, and that's the thing is just, it's very different. Um, but again, so much of this is going to stay the same. We're still mm. going to be working 40 hours. I don't see us raising the minimum wage here anytime soon. Um, I say that with deep regret. I, I'm not enjoying that fact at all, but it seems I, I to have, be on the background. I, I did see, I saw the news, so I know. <laughs> uh, but again, you know, we're going to have addictions and recovery. We're going to have uh, homes that, you know, that, that, that just, you know, focus around these songs. And I think that that's what makes them special is that they're, they're one part time capsule, and then one part, you know, uh, r- relatable environments that we can mm-hmm. all imagine. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I. You know what? I think that is probably
0: it for this one. All right. That sounds yeah. good to me. <laughs> I mean, the, the last one we went really long, so... Yeah, I, I actually had a short conversation with uh, Greg from Propagandipod Pod over Instagram. I'm like, I don't know. I, I I noticed the last one was like two and a half hours, and I think he commented something to the effect of, "Well, you can make it go as long as you want. No gods, no masters, right?" Like, <laughs> this is why I like. I, this is why I like this community. Uh, it's it's great to to always be reminded that while this this you know we we may be doubling our numbers this week from last week. Or something to that effect but at the end of the day like this is a historical document it's Mm -hmm. again i i I still crediting greg with this just stating that it's something that we're documenting the fan stories of the weaker thans and i think that that's pretty important because it's a pretty important band and i i'm happy to see that other people are are joining the bandwagon to find you know to, to talk about it and i think it's great
1: yeah well, so I guess we'll wrap it up there. This has been uh, Sounds Familiar. We'll be we good the podcast. Mike show signing off.
0: And this is Quinn uh, leaving. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Left and but, leaving. Left oh, left. there you go. Oh, <laughs> next All week, right. I'm bringing dad jokes. <laughs> Have a lovely evening